I don't think you have had a facelift, and I haven't either. Um, I've chosen not to be offended by that remark. Go on. Oh, okay. You don't need a facelift. Neither do I. <laughs> no, no, no. I approve of saying I'm sorry, and and I think it's fine to take flowers. It's just this kid might never really psychologically recover. Every kid in the neighbourhood, we were chained to the gum tree. We saved the gum trees. It was that easy. Thirty seconds. That's all I wanted, to sit there with the family and reflect on the ending, to read the credits. No, it's all about the next one. And so when Aggie died a couple of weeks ago, I just felt incredibly vulnerable. I can't imagine life without my dog. I said it to Gary Lyon one night on Classified, except I said right back at your boyfriend. (laughs) It didn't go down all that well. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin, now proudly supported by the Interchange Bench, specialists in temporary staffing and executive contracting. Call 1-800-I-BENCH. Yes, and welcome everybody to episode number 50, drumroll, of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson. I'm here with my dear friend, the bookseller, award-winning journalist, editor and former First woman, I think, to cover football in this country, Corrie Perkin. Hi, Caro. Happy it, birthday. It's our golden wedding anniversary, Corrie. It's not oh, our birthday. It's Miss been Jane, lovely spending all this time with you, Caro. It is lovely to be with you again, Corrie. And Miss Jane has brought in golden, brought in golden flowers, beautiful golden lilies. It, just that she's outdone herself yet again. So much news, Corrie, so much to talk about. You want to talk about cosmetic surgery. You're still reeling from what you saw on Four Corners. I think the other night I want to talk about that. I'm grumpy. You've got a crush. There's been more fallout from the on-field violence we saw in the AFL a couple of weeks ago, and we want to talk about beautiful things that we've lost, and I'm talking about architecture. Corrie, I'm so excited. I don't even think I've got an apology this week, except you are going to have to wait another week for Mum's artichoke soup recipe. Well, that's the big apology. No Julia this week. No, no Julia. Is she okay? Oh, she's absolutely fine, but she couldn't find the recipe, had far too much bridge and social activities going on, and just, you know, didn't say that she'd be damaging her brand if she did come on, but I did suggest that that was what she was hinting at. But, Corey, I've got some really big news. Ta-da! Drum roll. We have a sponsor, our dear friend, Anita Zima, who... Hopefully, I was going to say fell in love, but that sounds a bit arrogant, fell in love with the show when she was on sabbatical in Germany last year, runs the most wonderful company. It's the leading provider of temporary and contract talent. I love the name, the Interchange Bench, but guys, we're not just talking about football. We're certainly not just talking about sport. We're talking about all manner of temporary and contract talent, Corrie. So if you have somebody going on maternity leave and it's happened to us, Several times each when when we had to find other people to come in and replace us, you just call the interchange bench. It's call one, Anita. Call one, the interchange bench. one eight hundred I bench or see interchangebench.com.au. They're saying, Corrie, and I'm reading from a spiel, but we'll, we'll be getting used to this. For talent so good, you'd wish you could keep them. And sometimes she has. Call the interchange bench. Well, I just want to say, Caro, that um, my daughter Coco was part of the interchange bench team and uh, she had a placement at Monash University. They were short of someone. 
And so she went in on a contract job, had an absolute ball, felt terribly welcome. Dealing with interchange bench was fantastic. Uh, she got paid on time. <laughs> Everything worked. It's such a great organisation, not just for uh, employers looking to fill the gap, but also for people who just want a bit of part-time work for or a short, short-term stint. Somebody so, very close to me went into the interchange bench and it was suggested that maybe they might think about what they wore next time. <laughs> they went for a job interview, <laughs> which remind me of the time that as a... Which child? <laughs> oh, no, that's not fair. As a, as a young cadet at the old Melbourne Herald, the time, and I used to think I was, you know, the fashionista. I used to buy my outfits at Indigo, remember? Yeah, in Indigo? Chapel Street. Yeah, in yeah. Chapel Street, South the Arrow. It was there for years. And one bloke I knew years and years ago called my dresses and skirts. They said that they made by Mac the sale maker because they were rather hippie-ish. Anyway, the chief of staff called me up one day and said, love, have a look at the other girls. You might get a bit of an idea about what you really should be wearing to work. I was absolutely mortified. Anyway, I know that I know that feeling very well. More to come on the interchange bench when Corrie reveals her crush of the week. But Corrie, among other things we need to talk about is um, Louise Milligan. She did. I didn't see it because I was busy making my own TV show that night. And were you, Caroline? I, every Monday How night, footy classified. Um, but it it was a media investigation that. Does it shake up the industry? And I'm talking Brazilian butt lifts, yes, Botox. So, <laughs> they all begin so, with B, breast so, implants. So this week, Caro, uh, on Four Corners, Louise Milligan, award-winning journalist and has is a friend of the bookshop because she wrote that very impressive book that nobody can buy now on Cardinal George Pell. But I'm sure once the court case come, concludes, that book will come back on sale. She did a terrific job looking at the facelift and cosmetic surgery industry last night. And boy, oh boy, Caro, is it something that you should watch? Because I know you and I have talked over the years about would we ever, and we've always agreed never say never. But you and I have am, we? <laughs> I don't think I ever said that. At least, unless you've snuck off to a you know a, a Swiss farm. No, well, you, know, you can clearly see I haven't. Um, I don't think you have had a facelift, and I haven't either. Um, I've chosen not to be offended by that remark. Go on. Oh, okay. You don't need a facelift, neither do I. But uh, we do know lots of people who have had some work, including my own mother, who um, a few years before she died actually had little puffy parts of her eyes um, removed, and she said it was the best thing that she'd ever done. So, you know, good on her. That's great. Individual choice is good. However, what last night's um, report was on uh, was looking at the industry, but particularly the dodgies who have come into it, who are offering lower than usual, uh, into, you know, um, I wouldn't say cheap and nasty, but they're, you know, they're undercutting the proper uh, cosmetic surgeons um, and doing these jobs and they are botching them left, right and centre. So, of course, Louise found several women who had had terrible, terrible situations where breast implants, the implants had become infected. One poor woman told the story of actually um, being in agony all day, going out to dinner with her family, went into the ladies' bathroom. Her bre- One of her breast le- implants started to leak in the bathroom. Her daughter found her in a mess of bodily fluids horrendous, just shocking operations. Really depressing subject for our 50th show, Corrie. <laughs> well, the other thing, well, of it's course, sort of, is... Well, I was interested to know what your thoughts were on, well, on I think this. It, it sounds to me it's bloody expensive, so only a few people can afford it. Um, obviously, the insurance issue is big because not... All of it is covered by insurance. No, and also if something goes wrong, you cannot. You have to, you know, you have to pay the full amount for for surgery afterwards. And one poor woman has spent seventy thousand dollars. Her house has been remortgaged. She's had to borrow from her son. It's been terrible. 
The problem for me with and Botox, I mean, one one makeup girl at Channel Nine who was a dear girl used to encourage say, Look, you know, maybe you should think about it and then after a few years she said, Look, it's probably too late now because if you leave it for a certain if you get to a certain age, it's not gonna do you any good anyway. But what puts me off is that you've got to keep doing it. If there was something you could do just once and that was it. Like mum's eye tuck, yeah. Fantastic. Mm. But the other thing that depresses me is that, you know, I've worked with you know, makeup artists with the various TV I've done over the years. And I'm talking usually girls in their 20s or early 30s, absolutely gorgeous girls, all of them. And the money they spend on hair extensions, on plastic surgery, on Botox, on fillers. And I say to them, what are you doing? You're absolute. They go, listen, it's our job. It's our gig. Don't judge us. You know, we want to look the absolute best we can. I cannot understand it. And it brings up that stupid saying that, you know, all sayings are cliches until you get older and you realise they're all true. And that is that youth is wasted on the young. They don't realise how beautiful they are. Well, you see, part of the problem also, Caro, is that there's this new Instagram world. So social media has become so big in these kids' lives. So you, if you are under the age of 18, you have to get your parents' permission. Well, that in itself is a shock that there are people 18. But guess what? We met parents who were allowing their children under 18 to go and have um, Botox or this thing called a Brazilian butt lift. So do you know about a Brazilian no, butt lift? No, I don't know. I don't know if I want to. <laughs> Does it involve waxing? <laughs> Where do I begin? Where do I begin? This is a nighttime podcast, by the way, Potties. We are, we've got the Pinot out for our I've had for one our... sip, Corrie. You've been on the sauce with Miss Jane for at least we had, half we an had hour. A, we had a production meeting. <laughs> we are a bit sauced. But I wanted to – I can't believe you don't know what a Brazilian – okay, so do you know the Kardashians? Do you know the Kardashians? I know who they are. Oh, but... okay. So what happens is that you, um, a, a surgeon, will take out of other parts of your body fat and they will inject it into your bottom so you can have one of those extended – Behinds, okay? Seen oh, as okay. very, very attractive. Like J-Lo, sort of. Yeah, correct. Uh, they, these young girls are having these. They're having breast implants. They are having Botox up to the gazoo. Botox is injecting into your head poison. There is no other word to explain it. Don't let, Let's not say chemicals. It is poison into your bloodstream, into your body. So, look, the whole thing is is really fascinating and um, there there is, you know, there's movement at the station, as they would say, to regulate the industry. All people will be more more harmed than they there's are. There's a brilliant Italian film. It was on the film festival a couple of years ago, Italian film festival, and there's this great scene where all these women come into a church and beg from the best Botox man in the business and they all pay him thousands of dollars. And if he finds out they've been seeing another person, he sends them off and they go away weeping and shamed. I mean, it's the most unbelievably, it's the most brilliant film and it's very long and it's very interesting and its name will come to me. Um, The one thing, um, friends of mine and relatives have had breast reductions and I'm not so against that. I mean, I think they can work for medical reasons and for physical reasons, but when people have back issues, et cetera. So apart from that, Corrie, I'm totally with you. And I don't, I'd probably agree, never say never. I mean, if my eyes started closing over, my eyelids started closing over my eyes and I had to appear in public, maybe I would think about it. But at this point, no. I have to say uh, that Louise did, uh, did a thorough job as a good journalist would do. She talked to the head of the 
ASAPS, it's called, the Australasian Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgeons and so on. And they did say that there are some shocks in our industry um, and we had no idea that this was going to be such a big problem. But, of course, as more players come in, there's a crowding of the marketplace. It becomes more competitive and that, of course, means more people with fewer skills. So it's time for the government to get involved, I say. One more one more quick um, plastic surgery story. <laughs> you know how I was having bridge lessons for quite a few years and one of my bridge group was having major renovations at her house and she rented a flat while she was having these renovations. And it was a flat owned by a guy who was the most famous filler man, Botox man in the suburb. So we'd all turn up at her rented apartment for our bridge lessons. Don't tell me you spied on who was going in and out the door. No, no, but people saw me going in (laughs) and all thought that I would. And, you know, oh, yeah, sure, that's a good one. Oh, yeah. Going in for a bridge lesson. You know Keith, my bridge teacher, who lives... I don't know Keith because well, I don't play bridge. Well, he lives in, in Gippsland and he raises alpacas. It's a long story. And he drives a long way to give us these wonderful bridge lessons. So Keith would be there ensconced and nobody believed us that we were going to learn bridge anyway. But also that mutual friend of us who rented that flat for a while, she she could actually just sit there with her cup of tea and look out the window and go, oh, yeah, she's going in. Oh, she's going in. <laughs> well, in fact, there was a way anyway... Long story short. We might get in trouble if we go any further with this, Caro. So anyway, look, um, Potties, if you haven't seen, and Caro, if you haven't seen the Four Corners report, you can download it. It is really worth having a look, particularly if you're thinking about getting a nip and tuck. There were some fascinating articles in The Age over the weekend. Obviously, the Nick McKenzie expose about one of Australia's, well, one of the only three recipients living of the Victoria Cross was one of them. But did you read the Ross McMullen article? He's a sport historian about Lee Matthews. I did. That was remarkable. Well, it was in the wake of the Andrew Gaff issue. And Ross McMullen basically painted a picture of a very different time in AFL or then VFL footy. And he tells the story of how Lee Matthews, who's obviously been the man of the moment and who hates becoming the man of the moment, but every time someone's king hit, that's what happens. And we're talking about Andrew Gaff, who took went and visited Andrew Brayshaw this week in Melbourne at the family home, stayed for about half an hour and took his mum flowers. What do we think? Um, would you have accepted? You'd accept yeah, the no, flowers. No, you would accept. I think that is actually a genuine, uh, I think that's a real boy-man response. I think that means it's very genuine, authentic. I don't think it's a case of a publicist or some marketing director or someone at the football club saying, I think it's a good idea. That, to me, does feel sincere. I would think that probably my son, Will Carter, would do that if he was in that situation. He would probably take – I think Will would, and I think Ned would too, because I think that's what they've learned. Well, you would hope they wouldn't hit someone in the face and break their jaw and cause them to lose four or five teeth. In, and if they did and put their hand up and were mortified and devastated. But don't you and, think that would be Ned's response? Yeah, I guess so. I'm just, I'm just it's a, it's a night, still it, disappointed that he allowed his QC to ask for a three-week start, starting point of a three-week suspension when clearly it was a lot so more I'm than that. So I'm getting the feeling from you that you're not entirely approving of oh, Andrew a, get, attempts to say I'm sorry. No, no, no. I approve of saying I'm sorry. And, and I think it's fine to take flowers. It's just this kid might never really psychologically recover from what happened to him and it's just so very sad. And the fact that he's 18 just makes it so much worse despite the clean record and the great character references everybody gives Andrew Gabb. I was only I was on a walk around a walk in the park this morning with our friend Mary. 
owner of long and well, recently departed Molly. And a friend came up and said, you know, our son, he played tennis with Andrew Gaff. He's the most lovely kid. He was a, you'd never meet a gentler kind of boy. I mean, everybody says it. Anyway, I digress. So Lee Matthews in 1974 broke the jaw of a Melbourne footballer by the name of Neil McMullen. Historian brother Ross wrote an account of what happened that fateful day and um, his brother didn't ever really recover or he certainly never played footy after. I think he played one more year after And that. we have to add that this was when Lethal was at the, at the kind of the start of his career. Yeah, 1974. Yeah. Um, anyway, he broke his jaw. Um, the coach, he refers to the coach at the time calling his brother, as he'd come off the field, then the 20th man, and they had 19th and 20th men in those days, called his brother a weak prick. He's, he's standing on the sidelines or going down to the rooms with a bleeding, broken jaw and teeth floating around, etc. Who would have been the coach? It was Bob Skilton. Right. So he's taken out two legends in the one article, in fact three, because then he, then he says that he went to Waverley two weeks later, jaw recovered, played against Peter Bedford, who belted him on the chin and said, oh, I see, it's, I see your face is all right then. <laughs> Anyway, it was very awkward on Saturday on 3AW pregame because Lee Matthews had had a gutful of being asked about Neville Bruns and his most famous king hit. And he, he claimed he had four media gigs every week and he was honouring those but no others. And it was unfortunate for us that we were the fourth. And he, oh, he, you know, he was not happy. But so not we happy. asked him about Ross Mc, about Neil McMullen, and he did not remember. Not happy about being connected with this particular incident Sick. that happened two weeks ago. He'd had a gutful of talking about it, and he just. Gets but he's angry. in the media, and according to you know the historian Ross McMullen, you know he's now seen as the wise old venerable grandfather of the game, and everybody adores him. And you know I adore him. I think he's a wonderful commentator, and he has so much credibility. But there's just this black spot, and he has admitted many times that his acts were unacceptable and he's ashamed of them. But he did break some jaws in his time. And unfortunately, it's just interesting how, and people have said to me, why did Ross McMullen write this article now? Why didn't he write it in 1974? It was a history piece and it shows how much footy has changed. Yeah, it was a beautifully written piece. And, you know, even since but, but then. Hang on, but don't, but don't you think if, if Lee, oh, you obviously do agree because you were questioning him, but Lee, Lee's at the, like he, he's been part of this, part of football culture. He was a protagonist and he's in the media now. So it doesn't feel comfortable to me for a media person to be saying, no, I can't talk about that. I don't want to comment about it. I'm he said, I've had it. enough. I've done it already three times. And I said, well, what's changed since Thursday is this article. But he didn't remember breaking the jaw. And, you know, as people said to me later, wow, you know, you break someone's jaw. It's <laughs> kind of telling in itself, isn't it? Well, you know, but I guess things, you do forget stuff. You know, you do you do forget stuff. And back then, maybe it wasn't such a big deal to break someone's jaw, which is chilling in itself. Mm. But anyway, I mean, I think the environment's changed. People's attitudes have changed. I think Andrew Gaff got eight weeks because of community expectations, just like those cricketers who, according to the head of their cricket association and other former players' union officials, believe they should have really only got a one-test suspension but they were suspended for a year because that is what the community expected. Anyway, Corrie, speaking of community, aren't I segueing well tonight? <laughs> you're doing it must very be. Well. It's taken me 50 episodes. I'm glad you're doing it. Yeah, I'm glad you're doing it because well, Jane, Jane, who's in the room with us today, that's why you can hear people giggling in the background potties. It's not just me with two lots well, of giggling again, voices. Again, you've thrown me a topic that I am not really across. And oh, you've called you've, it. I said this to you yesterday, this a draft outline of today's program. No, you no, had, no. Have you been playing bridge today? I have actually. Well, 
And I had a bit to do. I've had a bit to do this week. I rest my case. I've had to write. I've got to do TV shows. I've got to do radio. You know how you've been busy too. Oh, my God. This is the headline. Bo Morris Modernist House Demolition Saga. Demolishment? It's not a demolishment. What's a Had I I done my notes properly, I might have had a peanut. I would have picked you up on the fact that demolishment is not a word. It's a demolition saga. So, um, okay, this is another terrible example. Okay, of long story short. Okay, so as you know, I grew up in the Bayside suburbs, and um, a friend of mine, who a fellow Bomoris person, said to me a year or so ago, "You should follow this Instagram account, Bomoris Modern." And it is a really, it's actually Bomoris underscore modern. It's a really terrific um, Instagram if you love modernist housing, as I do. I hate to think of how many Instagram accounts you're following because you tip one to me nearly every week. Well, get with the program, Caroline. Okay, go on. Um, So Bomoris Modern features homes in the area of Bomoris, gems that have come up, coming up for sale, houses that are still set in that 50s, 60s zone. So if you remember, Carol, well, you won't because neither, neither you or I were born. But after the war, but Morris and that whole area around Ricketts Point and so on were big tracts of land, private houses. And gradually over that 10, 15-year period after World War II, they were all um, segmented and put into a new housing estate. We're and talking they, about one of the most beautiful Bayside suburbs of Melbourne, correct. by the way. And they bought Half in, an hour from Melbourne, maybe? They bought... 25 minutes? Yeah, yes, that's right. They still don't have a train down there, which was always a problem. You have to catch the bus from the Sandy Station. However, you do get to Bermorris eventually. So there are all, all these terrific architects, a young Robin Boyd, um, Chancellor and Patrick, lots of, uh, of those post-war, fabulous, inspired architects, did houses and developments down there. Housing so, like CHI. Well, yes, but but also with a with a nod to people like Harry Seidler, with a nod to um, um, people like um, Frank Lloyd Wright uh, in a smaller, sort of more domestic space. So there was lots of exposed brickwork. For the first time ever in Australia, we had things called cabanas, which is where the parents used to go outside and have their drinks by the pool. There were all these sorts of new en-suites. Oh, my God. The first family I ever went to uh, and saw an en-suite, it was in Bermorris. I remember our first friend's pool. I mean... What were our parents thinking? There was no supervision. What about the fences around the pools? I mean, there weren't any. <laughs> well, of course we were there so weren't. Lucky. I mean, I hate to. I'm not making fun of some terribly terrible tragedies, but they were a bit slack anyway. But also, as our friend Jane Clifton would say too, you know, in the in the 70s, 60s, and 70s, I, think, we were I don't think she's my friend. By the way, <laughs> okay, no, she used to be. But I think she's an Essendon um, truther. But, Is that right? But, but yeah, we all were, we all, we're all on baby baby bassinets with no. Just, the parents had just put the baby bassinet in the back seat. No seatbelt. Anyway, so yesterday my Morris Modern pops off, right? Like, hail, like everybody, call to arms, call to arms. One of the Chancellor and Patrick homes is ready, is about to be demolished. And write in to the council if you can. We've got to stop them. So there was a whole sort of series of links and you could actually get online and say, you know, to the authorities, we want this stopped. Meanwhile, a group of local people, this is Monday morning when Parents have taken their kids to school or gone to work. Really tricky, really, really secretive and naughty. The bulldozers have arrived. So a dozen or so residents in the area all race down there and lock themselves up on the gate. And eventually the police came. And so we're all, you know, trying to contact the council, say, please don't pull this thing down. Um, The news crews arrive and Channel 2 News did a really terrific job. Um, However, we lost the house. The house is demolished. 
This reminds me of local activism and the importance of being involved, Caro, in your local area. If there is a building that is under threat, whether it's a public space or a home, no matter where you live in Australia, potties, work out quickly how to get involved because there will be a local community group of some sort that is trying to save this home. And the more names on the petition, the more people who hound their local council or ring their local politician, uh, the better. So I don't just think, oh my God, what a shame we're losing that old house again. I was involved in this when I was a kid. I I grew up, one of the areas I grew up was Hampton. And there was a beautiful street called Lineker Road, which is still lined by beautiful gum trees. And Rita Packer, who was a local activist, heard that the, the council was going to pull down most of these gum trees to widen the road. She got us all involved. Every kid in the neighbourhood, we were chained to the gum tree. My father, who was then working for The Age, sent down a news crew. The, the Sun News Pictorial sent down. We saved the gum trees. It was that easy. Well, unfortunately, with the planning Can you laws... think of any houses or, or beautiful buildings in your oh, look, area? I, I mean, the, the, I, I hate it You still weep when, um, over when you see the big space? I feel really sad. Whenever I go down to the Mornington Peninsula, I just feel really sad that they... Um, they haven't pulled down the whole building, but and the the sort of revamping they say is um kept the integrity of the building, but it isn't, and that's the old Sorrento post office. I mean, that was just a classic old building, which is now a country. It's road. now a country road. It's but been. Do you remember Tomcats? Do you remember yeah, down at Sorrento <laughs> Main Street, Tomcats? The old yeah, I do, but that dance hall. Well, would, that was pulled down. Yeah, but I wouldn't say that was a, a classic. We all old, tried to chain ourselves. I wouldn't ourselves say that, to that was a, a classic old building. Um, and uh, look, even remember all the kerfuffle over that um, church on the corner of Williams Road and Turak Road. And oh my lordy, we were living around the corner at the time in a rental, and we all of a sudden at five in the morning we heard this almighty crash, and they brought the bulldozers in. That was a scandal, and and then there was um trellis around it for years, and then they said they were going to build something keeping the integrity of the trellis. I mean, some of the crap these councils go on with. No, I think they're an utter disgrace, and I think I, don't, I think they're really inconsistent. And some of the stuff they've built. I mean, you walk around suburbs like East Malvern and Footscray and Ascot Vale, and these beautiful old buildings where they've built a building in front of it. Yeah, you know, they've turned it into a strata title. One of the loveliest places in Melbourne where it's still authentic is walking around the streets of Kensington. In Kensington, you feel like nothing has changed for 50, 80, 100 years. Yep, no, no. And, and parts of Carlton? And Flemington, actually, as well. Parts of Flemington have got some beautiful old houses. Yeah, so now, anyway, get get activated. You see, that's... That's the word. There's That's so how we much. We can use the word activate. Oh, okay. well, I Instead think of activating our almonds, we'll activate our local communities and become activists. Corrie, there's a lot to talk about this week, but we're going to have to condense it because I don't know. It just where does the time go? BSF is a big one because you and I went to a movie together in a rare occasion. We did in breaking news. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, I'm finally going to give my latest 70s recipe, but you've read a book and you've I been have. plugging this for a couple of weeks. Yeah, so now we get to talk about Prague Spring by Simon Moore, and you spell his surname M-A-W-E-R. And, Caro, um, a lot of the Maywa. Game... Uh, well, no, people... <laughs> okay. Moore. <laughs> it is Moore, really. Um, but we can call him um, Mayor if you want to. Uh, 
he was uh, shortlisted for a Booker Prize a few years ago for a beautiful book he wrote called The Glass Room. And um, potties who are in book clubs will probably know his work because his books are often chosen. And I think this is a really good book for book club. It's called Prague Spring. And it's set in those um, few months uh, around 1968, the summer, spring and summer of 1968. And we're in Czechoslovakia, Caro. And the new government is headed up by Alexander Dubček, who was a visionary and he wanted to uh, work hard with people power, bring in some democratic reforms. Of course, Czechoslovakia in that stage was ruled by the Kremlin. So the Soviets kind of sat back, sat back, a bit like the Arab Spring, uh, and they waited for um, or the Arab Summer. What was it, the Arab Spring or the Arab Summer? Arab Spring. And uh, when Remember all- Mum's review of Illyrian Spring? By no. Anne Bridge, when she was on the podcast, it's a bit of a memorable. That was a, another brilliant book with the word spring in it. Anyway, go on. Sorry. Oh, that's just. <laughs> well, you wanted to have some nostalgic memories of our first year. Yes, okay. Yeah, but not, as, not as I'm offering my dissertation. I in know, Prague but you spring. don't need to tell the entire story. I'm not telling the entire story. I'm talking about. Like that sp- certain member of our book club. <laughs> <laughs> and then says after five minutes, it wasn't very good though. <laughs> you go, well, you've just, <laughs> you've just bought us. Oh, you know what I love after minutes. 50 episodes? You're always going wind up to me and then you will go on and on no, about the world's most you've boring told me not, story. You've told me oh, not you know, to give away. You've, you've told us about your bridge man. What's his name? Martin. No, that's the builder. We've Keith, heard about him before. Keith. Keith. Okay. So just saying there are four key characters in this book and and this whole this whole this is a tr- this is tragic Carrie stop laughing Prague spring. if you if you were in Prague in 1968 you wouldn't be happy so there are four key characters and one of them is a british diplomat and he has fallen in love with a czechoslovakian student and there are two backpackers british backpacker kids who have sort of found their way from germany into uh, Czechoslovakia and all of a sudden all hell breaks loose and the Soviets have had enough and the tanks are coming over the border. So this book, as it progresses, it goes from love story to high drama and, in fact, you know, is is everybody going to be okay? Highly recommended, Prague Spring by Simon Moore or, as Caro says, Simon Maywa, (laughs) which would be the subcontinent version of um, Simon Moore, I guess, Um, go do yourself a favour, thirty two ninety nine at your good bookshop near you. Okay, I'm looking forward to reading it. I can't wait to hear you go on and on. No, we're and not going to give away. Do not give away. You, you're known for giving away plots or suggesting I'm plots. I'm not. I'm, Corrie, I said one of the characters in Poldark looked like your daughter Coco and you're screaming at me. No, because you added alert. that she was the lover. She became the love interest, which completely gave away what had been a platonic friendship. Did you see the last Poldark? No, well, yes, but some pods just, no, it? shh. I'm not going to say anything. Anyway, you and I went and saw a movie. All I can say is that George, what's his name? Warleggan. Warleggan. George Warleggan <laughs> is an evil man. He's a bad egg. But he's also very tragic too and very insecure. You and I went and saw The Wife on the weekend. And we had an interesting experience, didn't we? Because we went with a large group of people. And as happens often when you go to a movie with a large group of people, you can be swayed or... You, well, you can be swayed, can't you? I think you? we all just looked at each other and just went, oh, shite, didn't we? Oh, oh no, you were, very, you were very Pollyanna about it because no, you I, love most films. No, I, no, that's not true. I, oh, I wasn't mad on Under the Tree, if you remember, that Swedish one from a few weeks ago. Look, I, I just felt that Glenn Close, who is the star of this film, and I think gives a, look, I think he gives a really good acting performance. Yeah, we didn't say that she didn't. We all agreed that there was Academy Award potential written 
He plays the wife, and I'm not going to give away the plot, don't worry, because there are several twists, but he gives a, he plays the wife of a man who learns in the opening scene that he has been awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature, the brilliant actor Jonathan Price. Yes, correct. Who was in that... Um, He's in, he's in um, oh, you know, that thing that everybody watches. Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, the... in the Game of Thrones. He was in Pirates of the Caribbean. He was, but, he, but, every, but the young know him as Game he of was, Thrones. And he first came to my... Look, Jane's completely nodding her he head. He first came into my radar, and Jane wouldn't remember this, but there was a great British film that came out in the early 80s called The Ploughman's Lunch. I remember. And um, it was a we went and saw that film. together with we Nikki, did. your friend Nikki, but our friend Nikki. We went with um, our friend Deb, and Deb is um, a very discerning film watcher. And I remember going to see another Glenn Close film with her years ago called The Big Chill. And you know, most people really like The Big Chill, but she ruined The Big Chill for me because she was harumphing and puffing all the way through it and it was scoffing. So and, predictable, Caro. Yeah, it was, it was a very really predictable. It was cliched, and this film. Kevin, Kevin Costner didn't even make a, an appearance. And he no, was he, still was, he was left on the cutting room floor. But, um, so he should have been. Kevin Klein was very clunky. But in this film, um, Glenn Close is the wife of Jonathan Price, not Kevin Klein, and she's fantastic. This There's is a, a couple in their late 60s. It's a, great, it's a great film about the machinations of the Nobel Prize because they travel to Sweden for him to accept the prize. There are flashbacks. Yes, it's clunky. A lot of my gym gang saw it and really enjoyed it. I wouldn't say you were bored in it, and I think some of the performances what does that are really say about good. Your gym gang. Well, they really liked it. I mean, people disagree on films. What did what did Kevin, the bridge instructor, Keith? I, I tell thinking. you what, I would say. I would, if I'm going to turn this into social commentary, it's interesting that Glenn Close has gone from the world according to Garp, where she plays one sort of woman, to a bunny boiler. In Fatal Attraction, which is, you know, the most, you could say, the most anti-female, sexist, shocking piece of misogynism. Crock of shit, I'd you, say. You've ever seen. <laughs> to The Big Chill, where she allows, do you mind if I give away the plot of The Big Chill? No. Where no, she no, allows no. her husband to have sex with her best friend so her best friend can have a baby. I mean, And then please. brings in a cup of tea the next morning to them in yes. bed. Oh, so, bleh. There's a little bit of that in this as well, but we won't go into detail. A bit holier than thou, you think. I think she was a fine performance in this as the frustrated wife, you know, who's just always been there to mop up all the damage that the, the famous writer has done. It reminded me a lot of The Italian Teacher, actually. Theresa May, really. That book that we're... Still wiping up all the male damage done. <laughs> but the... <laughs> But the book that you and I have recently read, The Italian Teacher, this reminds me a bit of this. There, yeah, there are a bit shadows of, of this in it yes. with the son-father relationship. But um, yep. Glenn Close, my favourite performance of hers was as Cruella de Vil in 101 Dalmatians, who I discovered the other day was written by Dodie Smith. Who, who wrote, did I, I Captured the, the Castle? If you'd read um, Dodie's biography... You would know that, Corrie, and you would I know. I didn't know Dodie had a biography. Oh, I wanted to get it in the dear, shop. Dear Dodie. Oh, I have Corrie, to get it in the shop. I bought it from your shop. I got oh. you to order it in. <laughs> Did you? You fool. I didn't look at the. Oh, you. Dear Dodie was. She's always calling me a fool. No, but Corrie, you got After the book in for me. After 50 episodes, I've actually, had enough. But you actually. You actually I don't said, want to play with you anymore. You actually anymore. said it had done quite well. Oh, I don't remember that. Anyway, I guess you'd sell a lot of books, so well, it's fair I, enough. <laughs> look, I, I think it is worth seeing The Wife and um, because it, it does create a lot of conversation. It's not a bad film, 
Caro. It certainly isn't a bad film. But I did feel it was a little flat, dare I say, the director, Bjorn Rulnsch, is Scandinavian. So it's got that Scandinavian weight about it. But it, did, it did make me want to go to um, Stockholm, my Stockholm. favourite city yeah. in the world. I've never been there. Um, interestingly, I Capture the Castle plays a major role in that book, the Librarian by Sally Vickers, which I talked, which I bought from you a few weeks ago, which I loved. Anyway, just saying. Now, my recipe. Can we go back to the seventies? Which so has this been is, a bit so of a So this theme. is not Jules artichoke, artichoke no, soup. Okay. Except one tip from Jules: if you are going to roast artichokes and peel them, soak them in lemon before you do, and if you're making soup. But the rest of it will come soon. Oh, that's interesting. I the other night made one of my favourite favourite winter recipes. And that is the Robert Carrier Osabuco. Oh, it's yum, a recipe, yum, yum. It's a recipe passed on to me from our friend Mary Beasley. And um, it is so simple. It is so simple. So I'm sorry, Jane, but I haven't written it down. And it's written down in scrawl in my cookbook. So I'm just going to – I don't need to – I can do it Poor quickly. Jane, yet again in her part-time, she's going to be writing up your Go recipes. to a really good butcher and buy enough Osabuco for eight people. Okay, this is an eight-person recipe. And preferably, preferably the smaller, I think the smaller veal knuckles are better than the bigger ones. And when you start cooking them, it's best if they're a bit cold. Anyway, chuck them into a massive brown. What do you mean? Just straight out of the fridge? Yeah, very Don't cold. Don't let them sit. Chuck them into a large brown paper bag and then chuck in flour, salt and pepper and shake. Shake the bejesus out of it. Tablespoon of olive oil. You might need to add another one. And brown all the Osabuco beef knuckles. I can, in hear, a big, I can hear Jane typing as you're saying this. In a, in a big Very quick, Jane. pan. It's like having a stenographer. It's like being in the newsroom at the age. Poor Jane. Circa really 1992. A prize-winning posies <laughs> stenographing the recipes. Um, anyway, once you've browned them all, just put them to the side in a pan. One more tablespoon of olive oil. Cook up um, one sliced chopped up Spanish onion Three cloves, two, three, four cloves of garlic, depending on the size. I mean, that's I'm very impressed random. you're not referring to notes here. I've done it so many times and it's so easy. Okay, once they're all sort of translucent, chuck the veal back in with a jar of tomato paste. Got that, Corrie? A, one of the big, you know the... Yeah, what's come the, on. What's the brand of tomato We're paste? We're running out of time, you told Legos, me. Legos, just a big jar of tomato Hurry paste. Up. Chuck it in, glass of white wine. Big glass of white wine and make it a good white wine. Jeff Slattery, hope you're listening, friend of the podcast. And then... Not a friend after he sent me that foul text last He was very rude about your eye fillet. He said, you never told us to cook the beef or whether it's sliced. Too much vinegar and I hate beef salads. (laughs) Thanks, Jeff. I think that... As if our podsters need to be told how to cook a piece of eye fillet. I somehow don't think he's going to be doing that one. And it's not a bloody beef salad anyway. It was a piece of beef surrounded by salad. And then you add about a pint of chicken stock, okay? So, or if you want veal stock, if you want to be smart, you know. I mean, I I personally just put in the micelle powder, mix it up if I haven't got chicken stock in the freezer. And if you want to be really smart and you're at the at one of your favourite markets and they're selling stock like veal, put that in. But put TikTok, in a pint. TikTok, Caro. TikTok. Okay, so you've got your wine, your stock and your tomato paste. Stir, stir, stir. Bring to the boil. Let it cook for about an hour. Slowly in an oven on about no, not that slowly in an oven on one eighty. Put the whole thing. It's in in say a big Le Creuset pot. You put it into the oven, cook it on one eighty for about an hour. Take it out. Add a jar of anchovies. 
Oh, a jar. But you know what? You could you can add anchovies to almost anything. Preferably chopped it. up or a tin. Um, another clove of garlic. Chuck it in as well. Give it about another 20 minutes, half an hour. Stir, stir, stir. Serve it with a gremolata. Now, all I do with a gremolata is I chop up heaps and heaps of parsley and um, grind. I'll give you one. Great great lemons. I'll give you one thing, Kara. You do a very good gremolata. I do do a good gremolata. Great. Lots of lots of lemon rind. I don't think you need to chop up garlic. And I don't think you need to put olive oil in. I just think you do the olive. It's so simple. I just think you do the um, the parsley and the lemon rind. Yum. Great. Crusty bread, big green salad, done. And I understand Miss Jane does a very good gremolata as well. Oh, okay. Do you know how I know that? Because <laughs> we have another friend of the pod inside the pod today, which is um, Mr. Simon. Who is, who is Jane's partner. Connected to Jane. Who is here for a reason, Caro, but I will reveal that a little bit later on. Okay. So that's Robert Carrier's Osabuco. It's absolutely beautiful. And I know, I'm really sorry, Jane, but it is one of those ones you do by rule of thumb. Maybe so, a bit more wine, a bit more stock. So don't more. shoot, gang. We will have this on our Facebook site and um, somewhere else. And Oh, yes, and the show notes, which every week I keep forgetting to mention, they do exist on our iTunes One of the best 70s recipes. You can do it with a beautiful potato. I loved Robert Carrier on television. Do you remember? I do. One of the first celebrities. Oh, and he was either before or after Bell Bird on ABC. I can't remember. Now, that was one weekend highlight, but there was a low light, and I'm grumpy. You've grumpy. been grumpy for four weeks in a row now. No, that's have I? Yeah, you have. Well, Jeff you... last week. Um, what was it the week oh, before? Oh, Jeff Kennedy. No, this is, this is less so. Now, I'm not going to give away a spoiler alert, but... Recently, I watched the last episode of Jack Irish, which makes me grumpy in itself that it's ended because I just love that I show. tell you what, Caro, I'm up to episode three. I love it. Oh. Who, Roy, is the, who is the actor who plays the racing guy? Roy Billings. Oh, he He is, plays Harry. Hurrah. He's... Oh, and how, and how good is Deborah Malwin? So I know. Good. I mean, she is in everything at the moment, but and she's fantastic. And, of course, fantastic. written by, you know, the wonderful Andrew Knight, which we should have realised earlier yeah. on. And, and there is a lovely tribute at the end, and I'm not giving anything away to Peter Temple, who, of course, died earlier this year. But this is a great and story. And Francesca lives in his house in Ballarat. Oh, wow. And she turned his writing study into a laundry. I just went, how could you do that? Well, speaking of, you know, ruining, you know, famous landmarks. Right. Anyway. She didn't knock it down. Anyway, so we're all sitting around, you know, the family's gathered for the last episode of Jack Irish, you know, Clem's made pasta, we're all... I saw you playing darts on Sunday on Instagram. Uh, That's another story. Anyway, we're all sitting around watching the last... The last scene, you know, every sort of little thread's tied up. We're all sitting... It literally, literally ends. They go to the credits, bang, he's coming back. Rake is coming back. And... What annoys me about TV shows now, we're not all kids. We're not all sitting here on our mobile phones texting and doing crosswords and whatever. And needing an attention grabber, you mean. While we're watching a TV show. Can't we just live in the moment for 30 seconds? That's all I wanted, to sit there with the family and reflect on the ending, to read the credits, to read about Peter Temple, to read where, you know, that certain scene was made where the climax happened, et cetera, et cetera. No, it's all about the next one. And I just, it, it's Channel 7 do it during the tennis and now the ABC are doing it. It is so annoying. We don't want 
to see Rake, as much as I absolutely adore that show and I'm really looking forward to it very starting Sydney again. Very Sydney Rake, isn't it? Yeah, as it's opposed a great, to very Melbourne being Jack. Which Jack Irish was. It was just really disappointing. Anyway, I know that sounds like a really small well, I'm thing. Well, I'm going to quote you from the other week when you said it, I nearly fell off my stool right back at you, sister. <laughs> Where the hell did that come from, Garo? Right back at your girlfriend, I think I would have said. <laughs> Is that, is that a Clementine affectation? I said it to Gary Lyon when not on Classified, except I said right back at your boyfriend. <laughs> Did, didn't go down all that well. Not with Brendan. Now, Corrie, it's time for six quick questions. And I you have one off. for you. Your most memorable recent-ish road trip. Well, I was funny, thinking about road trips the other day, how much I'd love to go on one. Funny you should ask two dogs. Because Anna from the op shop's sister has gone on. She's posting on Instagram. Yes. She's Hi re- to Jewel. Re- Hi, Jewel. Retracing our southern coast of New South Wales steps. She's very happy with a certain well, hotel she stayed at just next to Eden. She's much more um, on with the Instagram than you were when you did your trip. Are you joking? You don't even remember. It was 2016. That was some of the most beautiful images I've ever posted, and everybody agrees. Anyway, you must have been busy at the time. My most, my most, my most recent memorable road trip working. happened only days ago, and the reason it was memorable is because it's very rare now that I'm in the car with my entire family, immediate family, me, my husband Brendan, and our three children, all aged in their twenties. But we hit the road last weekend to visit Brendan's dad Ted um, for his ninety third birthday, and we drove to the Shout surf out coast. To Ted and Moira. Hi, Ted and yeah, Moira. Ted was turning 93 and we drove to the surf coast to Anglesey to visit them. And it was just such a lovely drive. It was a beautiful, well, it wasn't a spring day, but it was at least it's such sunny. such a picturesque drive too. Well, part of it is and you drive past Bells and the Freshwater Creek and the turn off to Torquay and there's a freeway now. Well, not all of it's actually that picturesque. No, I, I like the Geelong Road. I like seeing the Yu Yangs. Yep. No, that's true. And the conversation was fantastic. Um, there was a bit of footy on the radio. There was a bit of smooth FM. There was a bit of everything, really. No podcast because we were having too many conversations. And it was just a really lovely experience. What a nice and thing to that, do with your kids. One that probably won't happen all that often, Corrie. Oh, one from me to that. you. Now, it's nearly spring, Corrie. What represents to you? What is the thing that makes you know that spring is in the air? Birds in the morning, Caro. Mm, not they're, bad. They're all yep, coming back to that. Melbourne. Uh, the other thing too, I had a little game of golf today when you were bridging with Keith. And, um, no, not Keith. We commented. It was duplicate. Anyway, <sighs> go on. We did badly. Um, wattle. Mm. There is, on, on the golf course, there is, there is there's something like 18 different, um, I've been told, Oh, my um, Lord, there were heavens on the Geelong Road on the yeah. weekend. It I, was everywhere. A bit scratchy in the nose and the eyes tonight. It's not the red wine, I promise. disappointing Miss um, Jane couldn't get some wattle into her. I mean, the colour would I'm have sort been of glad, right. I'm sort of glad she didn't because I am feeling a bit, you know, Bit of a black mark, up. Jane. <laughs> oh, gee, she's getting fussy after 50, isn't she? <laughs> No, I think that... But the birds in the morning, Carol, I've really noticed it in the last three or four weeks in Melbourne. Um, if you live in Sydney, well, you've had them all year because you've had 20 degrees, but you've had no rain. Ha, 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 and we have. But I must say that's really the thing that it's I really, love. It's probably not all that politically correct to be making fun of people suffering in drought, but anyway. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm <laughs> living and breathing the drought more than anybody. I really, really feel for it. I listen to Philip Adams and he's he's just bereft. He's properties, so many properties, and my friend... Corey apologises. My friend who has a, has a bookshop in Moray, tough times up there. 
lots of love and hugs to all the people who are suffering the drought. This but, reminds me of the moment last week in Sydney when Erin um, Molan and her team on the footy show fat shamed that former NRL player who's rather large and they all made fun of him and talked about him as an athlete and um, they were absolutely smashed. So I just hope that doesn't happen to you, Corrie Perkin. Oh. <laughs> well, now that you've highlighted it, it probably will, <laughs> Caroline Wilson. Okay, you can have a chance now to put your foot in it. Why is Phil Gould, the NRL coach, um, why is he like being compared to Donald Trump? Well, this is an interesting question, Corey, and he's actually not an NRL coach. He did used to be an NRL coach. He's the face of Channel 9, really, NRL. He's sort of the Eddie Maguire, in a sense, of the NRL in Sydney. He is a former coach, but he is running the Penrith Panthers, like he's head of football. He's not the CEO or the chairman, but he's a footy boss. This is the most bizarre. His hair is a bit like Donald Trump, and he's spent most of this year in his commentary role even though he's also the footy boss of the footy club, declaring fake news to the suggestion that he and the Penrith coach, Anthony Griffin, have fallen out. Guess what? Last week he sacked Anthony Griffin. He blamed the chairman, but the chairman said, no, no, it was Phil. And they were fourth on the ladder. So can you imagine Hawthorne sacking Alistair Clarkson now? No. Well, that will, will. Well, actually, I could imagine Jeff Kennett doing something as stupid as that, but well, no, I think, uh, you'd no. like to think no. No, no, he's, he's much smarter than that, Jeff Kennett. But anyway, so he sacked the coach because he thinks he can get this other coach, who interestingly he previously sacked three or four years ago. I'll just wrap this up very quickly. Ivan Cleary. Ivan Cleary's got two and a half years to go on his contract with West Tigers. West Tigers crack it. Ivan Cleary has a meeting with the chairman of Penrith, but he thought it was about his son, who happens to be one of the best players in the NRL, who happens to play for Penrith. Wake up. Wake up. It, this is the most extreme. If this happened in AFL, it would be a massive scandal. So Phil Gould, the most old school bloke you can ever imagine, is commenting in the media every day, telling the media they're idiots. We now find out, actually, no, Phil, not fake news. You were not even returning text messages or answering the call of your coach while you were vying for finals. So he lied to the media. He didn't answer the call. He didn't, at one point, he didn't respond to the coach's calls or messages for six weeks. So he's running the footy department and he's ignoring the coach. So now he's sacked the coach. The coach hit back on NRL 360, equivalent of AFL 360, last week and smashed Phil. Smills fa- Phil has smashed him back. Phil, at one point, they looked at banning him from commenting on that particular game and they had to get bodyguards to when he did finally commentate on the game because people are so angry with him. And he is basically running the footy club. It is an utter debacle. So that's oh. why he's a Donald Trump at the NRL. Oh, Corey, okay. um, now, I sort of get that link, but I got the hair bit. Oh. I, I know I ex- – well, in the fake news bit, um, Vicky Campion, our old <laughs> friends, are at it again. <laughs> Look, so Vicky <laughs> Campion has sent – no, I'll ask you the question. Okay, sorry. Vicky Campion has sent um, Emma Hussar a letter of support. That's the Labor MP who basically fell on a sword the other day. Um, and we know who Vicky is. She's Barnaby's partner. Vicky, good call, bad call? Bad call, Caro. But even worse called by Barnaby. So the member for New England who said, you know, we just want our privacy, could all the media go away? Um, thanks, Channel 7, for the big fat check, by the way. Um, he revealed that to the media that he had forwarded a letter of support to Miss Hussar from his partner, Vicky Campion, um, via the opposition leader, Bill Shorten's office. So... I'm just trying to picture this in my head. I'm not quite sure how it works, but I imagine that Barnaby Joyce has walked down the corridor of 
Oh, it's sound effects, effects. Oh, wow. of, of Parliament House, knocked on the door of That's Bill's. as good as my American accent last week. <laughs> I'm still going to get you to sing in Swahili, baby. Watch out. Knock, knock, knock. Oh, hello. Um, I just have a uh, – can I leave a letter here? This is for Emma Hussar, who actually is no longer in the building because she has stepped down. But can I uh, leave this? It's from my partner, um, Vicky Campion, letter of support saying, you know, we know how you feel. It's so hard to be hassled by oh, – Publicity by stunt the, of the highest order. But then Barnaby has gone and told the media, oh, yes, well, we sent her a letter of support. Oh. Why would you do that? On many levels, why would you do that, Barnaby? So, yeah, bad move, Vicky and Barnaby. Insincere move, Barnaby. Now, um, Carol, you know how I love a bit of a birthday. Madonna turned 60 this week. Oh, where did the time go, Madge? <laughs> I tell you what, Madge, if you sing like a virgin, no one's going to believe you, honey. Well, What's your favourite Madonna song? I'd, like a Virgin is one of the best pop songs ever written. Yeah, but I'm sick of going to book club weekends and things like that with 10 drunken 50-something women <laughs> sitting when around. When was the last time you turned up at a book club meeting, let alone a weekend? <laughs> That hasn't happened. Get into the groove. Oh, oh, pardon the pun. That's another one of my favourite Madonna songs. No, to be honest, how tonight? To be you're being a bit mean about the book club weekend. I'm not. No, I love the book club weekend. But just honestly, every every time women get together over a certain age, which is basically you know a few years shy of Madge's. Everybody starts singing like a virgin, and no, it's just no, no. The one that we, the one that we really used to dance to, and this is so daggy, um, was "Will You Marry Me, Bill" by the Fifth Dimension. That was, <laughs> remember that wedding bell blues? Oh, everyone's looking a bit confused. Bill, <laughs> the wedding. Bell, I no, love you, yeah. Bill. Oh dear, and, and she I hasn't always, even got the words right. Oh, but, I don't know. Da da da. My favourite Madonna song that I always sing along to and I love is La Isla Bonita. I oh, you love don't, that oh, song. Go on. No, I'm not, not going to sing Go it. On. You know I can't sing, but I think it's the most beautiful song. Now, um, is it time to bring up the interchange bench again, Corrie? Because you're the person with a crush this week. Lead away. So, Potties, our, our wonderful interchange bench gang have specifically asked that they could they sponsor a particular segment because they love it so much, and they have asked to sponsor Crush of the Week. But as I said to Neats, I have crush of the week. Our friend Anita of the interchange bench, I said, Neats, I've got crush this week and it's actually my dog. And she said, I love it. I love the idea. Okay. Call 1-800-I-BENCH, the interchange bench, Corrie. Get back on top of work with first class staff. That is what the interchange bench is. Now, you tell me why on earth you have a crush on your dog. You sound all, for all the world like Dolly Dyer. <laughs> Remember Bob and Dolly from Pickerbox? Specialists in temporary staffing and executive contracting. Oh, I love it when you Call talk dirty. 1 800 Interchange Bench, or you can get them online, Corrie. The inter, it's Interchange Bench, lowercase one word, dot com dot au. Should have been a barrel girl, Caro. Tell me why you've got a crush on Bearsy. Okay, so my dog Bearsy celebrated her 16th birthday this week. 16 years ago, a little black spoodle was born and three months later she came home with us and we called her Bearsy because she was black and little and we couldn't even see her dark eyes. Her whole face was so I'm black. Not, I'm not being rude and I love Bearsy, but why? Because she was black. She black. looked like a little black bear. Oh, okay. But I, I, I take your point because yep. she's now quite grey. You know, she's elderly and she's lived with us, so that's enough to turn you grey. Last couple of weeks, two of my friends have lost their beloved family dogs, Mary, who you mentioned before, with the beautiful Molly, and my friends Penny and Penny and Peter, they lost their Aggie. 
And I can remember so clearly one day being down at the park, local park in Hawthorne with uh, where I lived at the time and uh, with Bearsie, who was a new puppy, and Peter turned up with their new dog, Aggie. And so when Aggie died a couple of weeks ago, I just felt incredibly vulnerable. I can't imagine life without my dog. And as the kids say, Mum, what's Pete going to do when Bearsie goes? Like he is so – talk about – he comes home and says, how's my number one girl? And and how are you? <laughs> oh, hi, Brendan Dal. How are you? That. Brendan always says that. He, How's I my number kids, one girl? He always says, I took the old dog for a walk, and then he'll say, oh, and um, <laughs> and then I came home and gave Billy a walk as well. And he still cracks that gag 14 years later. So, look, the I've thing is, laughing. So the thing is, Caro, that you and Billy and Bezzy and I, and until recently, you know, um, Mary and Molly, we have been walking forever together and Anna's Anna from the op shop's dog and our dogs are such a part Monty. of our life it, yes and and the, but the tigger before that yep tigger died not so long ago too so I just want to say that if there are any families out there um, young couples or whoever or even downsizers who are thinking no we're not going to get another dog or young families thinking oh we shouldn't get a dog Coco was what was she eight or something or nine I can't do the maths but she, like she has grown up with Bezzy. Be- Coco comes home from her, you know, group household and comes home for dinner, and Bezzy goes nuts. Even though she's losing her eyesight, she's losing her hearing. She knows when Coco's around. So I just want to shout out to Bezzy, happy birthday! I don't know whether I should say sh- 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 there'll be many more. I but- don't mean well, I don't mean to be cruel, but have you thought about the T word transition? I have thought about a pup. We call it pupping up in our place. Okay. And I mentioned it to Pete about a year ago, and I said, I think we should puppy up because Bearsy would be a very good trainer of a new puppy, and he was horrified. But a few weeks ago, I mentioned it again, and he softened on the idea. So, so in you never the genre know. of the interchange bench, maybe it's a bit like <laughs> passing the baton to use the I love it. Vernacular. Oh, Anita's going to love this. So anyway, Anita thought that that was a really lovely moment to be associated with my dog, Bearsy, because she knows Bearsy very well. And so there you go, Carol. That's it. And um, it would have been what nice to mention to Jack Revolt, who kicked ten goals the other day. But I guess I can't have another crush on another Richmond footballer. Oh, I have a tip now. Yep, GLT time, Corrie. Okay, so my tip is this: I have a friend who, who her name is Anna, and she lives in New York, and she has three little kids. And um, the middle one, Maggie, has uh, who must be about three, I guess, has uh, a deep affection for a thing called baby. I think it's called baby. And it's just a little doll, you know, plastic doll, no hair, that sort of thing, nappy, all of that. And we regularly receive Instagram updates on Maggie looking after baby. Well, they went to uh, Europe for a summer holiday and they lost baby. So Anna had to pretend that baby was coming home on another plane. And there are pic- there, there's Instagram footage of Maggie, you know, in tears, crying, inconsolable. The trip home, Cara, must have been, can you imagine, a nightmare. Odd thing to put on Instagram. And so, well, no, because it's a family care and share thing. So, and we all were feeling so bad. So anyway, quick whip down to Macy's or wherever, purchase the new one and they haven't skipped a beat. This same thing happened if you recall Francesca when she was little, had the hair with the, had the doll with the white hair and that doll disappeared. The good local tip is from my mother, buy a couple of them, Corey, have them in the cupboard and make sure they're absolutely identical because the children will know it. Make sure it's the same dress, the same outfit, the same scratch on the cheek, the same whatever. So I've given this tip to Francesca. So Harriet has a thing about bunnies. She has four, one and three in the cupboard just in case. There might be a horrible psychological moment if she ever discovered them. (laughs) 
imagine there could be a lot worse than losing one. You know, you know what was the horrible discovery when we put Francesca's doll in the washing machine because oh. she was a fabric doll. And we, let's go and see. She's had a bath and we opened it up and her hair, her complete hair set had fallen off. <laughs> that was an idiotic so thing to ball, do. The like ball doll used... came out. Francesca shrieked. That was a psychological moment. I just sew it back on. Believe it or not, Corrie, we've come to the end of episode number 50. Thank you, everyone, for listening. As always, if you'd like to send comment on anything we've talked about, you've got your own good local tip, or if you just want to say hi, you can email us. Hi. I want to I want to send a cheerio to Kevin from Geelong because he's been our most regular feedback person. Kevin, where from day are one. you? Kevin, we need some feedback. Kevin might be getting a bit excited at the moment because if the cat's finish, yeah, we we're, creamed you on the weekend, Kev. The, creamed you. Where the ladder predictor says they'll finish, they might even host Picked a up final. Your handbags and went back to they Geelong, might didn't you? even host a final. Corey, that's a bit aggressive. They might even host a Kevin, final. Kevin, we need to Geelong. hear from you. And also, Jeff Slattery, please, not another. How text. many games have you actually been to this year, none. Corey? No, none. I declare none. Anyway, you can email us at feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au or you can follow us via the Facebook page, the Twitter, or the Caro and Corey Instagram. Don't shoot the messenger, Caro. Do we really have music, Corey? We do. We have a surprise for you. To Ready, celebrate Jane? 50 episodes, Ready, Simon? Corey? Over to you. Don't shoot the messenger. We're kind of telling you. There's more than just one point of view. And we'll talk it through. We'll talk it through. Join Carol and Corey and friends. Sometimes they're kids. Anna from the op shop and Julia's the best. And we'll talk it through. We'll talk it through. We've tackled hashtag me too. We'll see the footy season through. Keep an eye on the pollies, the latest in news. Plus all the things we love with book, screen and food. Don't shoot, don't shoot the messenger. Don't shoot, don't shoot the messenger. Remember, I had to whisper sing in the junior school choir. I've told that story. I won't be singing now. That is brilliant, Jane. That is unbelievable. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast is made possible by the Interchange Bench. The Interchange Bench provides first-class temporary and contract talent. So when you need to get your team back in the game, call on the Interchange Bench. They provide temporary staffing, executive contracting, casual workforce management and volume recruitment from finance, events, communications, digital to office support at all levels. Someone sick or resigned? Expanding the company. Just call 1-800-I-BENCH or see interchangebench.com.au for talent so good you'd wish you can keep them.